Greetings, Internet. This is John Bailey, the Popcorn Junkie. And while we could do another Smammer, uh, I decided to kind of ease up on it. I can keep the reviews pretty short. I don't have much to say on these week, this week's, uh, most of this week's selection. So I'll keep it brief, and then we'll have like a scattershot discussion at the end. But uh, on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, we've got Jason Statham fighting a shark in The Meg. Sony Pictures trying to capitalize on a dying creepypasta, Slenderman. The dog-themed anthology movie? Something like that? I forget what these are called. Uh, but Dog Days, Spike Lee's new joint, Black Klansman, based on the true story of Ron Stallworth. And Bo Burnham's new motion picture through A24, 8th grade. Let's get started. on this, you ugly You know, when the premise of your movie is Jason Statham fights a giant shark, you expect it to be dumb. Because, of course, it's going to be dumb. What you don't expect it is to be boring. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of this movie is, is it's incompetent on a level that you should not expect from a $150 million movie. Oh yeah, that's absolutely right. This movie cost 75 times more than the average Sharknado movie and is barely above the same amount of quality in terms of story, acting, etc. Uh, the only thing it's better at is effects, and that's not saying much. Uh, yeah, the whole premise is this is based on a book and the premise is a team of scientists. Uh, I forget where the, I don't know where the book takes place, but uh, here it's off the coast of China because, you know, Chinese market, just, just, just screw all pretense. Hey, China, this one's for you. I mean, Hey, well, you know, I, I'm surprised more movies don't do this. We've had what the great wall. And then this more often than not, it's a little more subtle than just saying, Hey, China. Psst. Hey, China. We made this for you. Will you like us, senpai? Will you give us your money? Um, but, uh, at any rate, uh, this is based off the coast of China. And the idea is the Marianas Trench is, in, is deeper than we thought because the bottom isn't, a, isn't rock. It's hydrogen cutting off a layer of undiscovered water which hid i guess megalodons for so many millions of years and two and a couple of these megalodons managed to escape from that underwater barrier of hydrogen i don't know it's stupid and then jason statham has to be the tough guy to bring down these sharks and it's it's bad but it's not fun it is surprisingly unfun for the most part Something else that's been bothering me? Everyone seems to be praising the little girl in this movie. She's just an obnoxious... She's just as obnoxious as Jonathan Nicky was in Jerry Maguire. I don't get the appeal. She's very wooden. You can already hear in the trailer she's not a good actor. But I guess because they give her one-liners, that's okay with people. Okay, you made some... You cracked some one-liners. You're good. But she never, she's terrible in her delivery. She's not a good actress. I don't know if it's 
ESL issues or something like that, but she is just wooden. She is she is a chunk of cardboard that has been given sentience and told to act human. And it, that's what we get from this girl. She is not interesting or compelling or even likable for the most part. I mean, she's more likable than a lot of the characters in this movie, which are just blatant stereotypes. But it's it really is just so mind-boggling that this cost about as much as a Marvel movie. A lot of Marvel movies are... This is a blockbuster range movie. And they couldn't do better than this. That's what gets me. Of course, this is also from the director of the National Treasure series. And... But... That shouldn't be this is fun, right? Like, National Treasure is fun bad. It's it's not good, well-thought-out thriller stuff. It's cheesy, family-friendly action adventure. Why couldn't this be that? Why couldn't this be just fun and crazy and over-the-top? I mean, the it's PG-13, so it's limited in terms of gore, which is stupid. You should just go all out. I mean, other shark movies have gone all out, and it works for them. Why are you limiting yourself be- with a stupid, arbitrary rating? Just swallow handfuls of people by the mouthful there's a shot in the movie where it's swimming towards a group of people and it barely eats like one or two at a time of them it is so cheap in that regard this the blood count the the blood count the body count in this movie is surprisingly low and it's and it's so weak in because once again you're limiting yourself with an arbitrary pg-13 rating the reason jaws worked a lot is because it allowed itself to push the envelope and to accept the gore as part of the shark attack stuff why would you make a shark movie and then not allow for the splatter and the gore and the eviscera that comes with the shark attack so yeah, Warner Brothers really cramped the bet on this one. It the cast is weak, uh, the performances are all bad, and, are all pretty bad, and the and the and the fun parts that would make a good shark movie aren't even there. They're they aren't they're barely present at all. Even as a fun bad movie, I can't recommend this. I can't recommend this as like a midnight movie or like a B movie because it tries to be an A movie. Instead of just embracing the B-movie aspect of this premise. And I think that's his biggest mistake. So, skip the Meg. Just watch one of the Sharknado movies. That'll give you your shark fix. And it's probably a hell of a lot more fun than this was. Hey, cool teens, do y'all remember Slenderman? I bet you do, you young whippersnappers. I'm, this, this, the audio effect doesn't work, but how do you dab?
on uh, audio. I'm dabbing right now, and I don't know how to capture that in audio form. What is an audio version of a dab? Do I just so dab, dab, dab? Uh, yeah, at any rate, Uncle Cool Uncle Sony is bringing us the Slenderman movie we never wanted. Thanks, Sony. Thanks for jumping on the boat after it already sank. The train has already pulled into its last stop at the station, and you're like, let's keep going! <laughs> and you're like pushing the train along the tracks. We can do this! We can totally do this! Keep going! Keep the hyper train rolling! Oh, Sony. There's a reason I call you the Charlie Brown of movie studios, because you, 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 just, you just can't do anything right, it seems. So yeah, Slender Man. I, th- I think the thing that killed it is the last time people were talking about Slender Man in any sort of capacity was the was the stabbing that occurred in Waukesha County, Waukesha County, Wisconsin. That that there, in fact, there were actually two stabbings in 2014 that were tied into Slender Man. First, the Waukesha County one, and then there was an incident in Hamilton, Ohio. Which has no relation to the um, to the uh, musical of the same name. I, I don't know where Hamilton. I'm not familiar with Hamilton, Ohio. Uh, I, I'm wondering. I think it's out near like west of Ohio. The uh, it's either the west of Ohio or like the south of Ohio. Um, let me see. Yeah. Okay. Hamilton is like just north of Cincinnati. It's. Um, Okay, it's the seat of Butler County, which is just just north of Cincinnati. Okay, so so that's where the other stabbing occurred that was tied into Slenderman. Both happened in 2014, um, uh, oddly enough. And I don't know if there's any relation to each other or not. I wouldn't be surprised if there was, if the Wakisha one led to the Hamilton one. But suffice to say that I'm kind of with the dad on this one. Uh, one of the da- the dad of the victim of the Waukesha stabbing said that this Sony movie was in very poor taste, and I think what does I think what hammers that in is the fact that it's a series of girls as their protagonists. The fact that you're having the four girls uh, involved in the whole Slenderman thing feels in very poor taste, considering what happened. I mean. It would have been a poor taste no matter what because you're trying to treat Slenderman as like a viable, marketable horror icon when people literally died being tied into this whole nonsense. It's a creepy pasta. Like even my nephew, I took my nephew to this. I took my nephew to this and the Meg because he and I, we're like, we're like a uh, bad movie duo. We love seeing bad movies and making fun of them. And we had fun at the Meg. We did not have all that much fun at Slenderman. Uh, it's not even, like, fun bad. It's bo- Like, he said twice over the course of the movie. What? How long is the movie? Like, what? 90 minutes? Almost, uh, what, like 100 minutes, maybe? Let me pull up the running time. Uh, I'm assuming it's probably no, a little more, maybe a little more than 90 minutes. Here we go, Slenderman. Uh, total runtime is an hour 33, so 93 minutes. Over the course of an hour and a half, he said to me twice that if it wasn't for the monster energy drink he he bought at the movies, that he would have fallen asleep. I was ready to fall asleep in this movie! That's how boring it is! Like, 
You couldn't have even done something over the top and like out there and crazy. It's so generic and boring. You made Slenderman boring. Like even the game wasn't boring. It was simple, but it knew how to play off the Slender the Slenderman character. Slenderman Attorney at Law, as I like to call him. Uh, uh, Sigmund Slender, not Sigmund. Uh, what's a good name for? Uh, uh, Stephen Slenderman, attorney at law. Let's go with that. Um, so yeah, uh, the whole Slenderman mythos, I keep calling him Slenderman, <laughs> like Speederman and Superman. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the whole Slenderman mythos was built out of a creepypasta that some guy with a lot of creative energy and time on his hands decided to cook up on the internet, like, De- a decade ago. Nine years ago was when Slenderman first started appearing on the internet. And 2018 is when Sony finally got around to releasing their movie on him. Dynamite stuff there, Sony. Strike while the iron is hot, Sony. This is why you are the Charlie Brown of studios, Sony. For the love of God. Come on. Just, just, just why? At any rate, Yeah. It's in poor taste considering they did this at, they started production after the stabbings occurred. Both stabbings occurred in 2014. They didn't even start production until two years after. I guess they figured, eh, two years is enough time. We can still strike while the iron is hot on this meme. (laughs) Even though it was already on the downturn when the stabbings occurred and there was only one spike when the stabbings occurred and then it just completely went into, there's better creepypastas out there right now. There are more iconic and interesting creepypastas going around. People don't really care about Slenderman anymore. We've moved past Slenderman. The the peak of Slenderman was probably 2012 when the Slender game... When did the Slender game come out? I want to say that was 2012. The game came out... Hold on. That didn't give him the stuff for the movie. When did the game come out? Slender the Eight Pages came out 2012. Around that time would have been the time to release a movie. Like 2013, 2014. Apparently they couldn't get the rights to it until 20, around 2016. And then they still, and then they decided to release a movie around 20, in 2018. Most of the people who, who would have been in your demographic when this came out are about ready to go to college now. Or they're already in college by the time your movie came out. They've moved past Slenderman. The days of Slenderman being a viable franchise are done. They're over. You're, you you had your chance. This has been around for almost a decade. It is ancient in terms of a meme. It's, it's like saying you're going to make a movie out of the Numa Numa Kid. Or the Tron Guy. Because that's how old this meme is. Ay vey. So it's already dated by the time you finally decided to capitalize on it. And then, of course, it just literally takes footage and images created by Victor, what's his name? The creator of Slenderman. And it just says, hey, here's all the stuff that anybody who knows anything about Slenderman has already seen. And that's, the, that's all the research montage. So, uh, I mean, there are some funny bits when they try to be super scary and creepy and it's just hilarious. 
Like, there's a bit where it's, like, one of the girls is in the woods and having a nightmare. And so she's, like, under a bunch of leaves. And she's, and she's like, <laughs> and it's, like, really quick cutting. It's, like, it's almost like a, like an edgy new metal music video at points. And it's, it's bad. It's bad. But unfortunately, it's also really, really boring. And, yeah. I will say also, um, the big scary... Like, Slenderman has no real set of powers. He is whatever it, whatever it takes to move the plot along. That is his power. He can do literally whatever he, whatever he wants as long as he can move the plot forward. That's it. And then, of course, one of his superpowers is stealing from the evil dead because... I'll just say this, one of the most iconic moments from Evil Dead is entirely stolen and made pe- made for a PG-13 audience. So I'll just leave it at that. If you know anything about the Evil Dead, um, I mean, I'll just say this, it takes place in the woods and they stole something from the Evil Dead. You do the math. I'm not going to I'm not going to make I'm not going to make the reference without, you know, sp- you know, without doing too much of a spoiler. Suffice to say that they stole they stole something pretty iconic from the Evil Dead franchise and they wasted it. So yeah, Slenderman is a cheap, cheap, already out of, already past date, uh, uh, tie-in movie to a fran- to a franchise that never really needed to take off. Like it was a cool internet thing, and then Grandpa Movie Studio decided to try and make it hip, so they tried to be hip and with it with the youths. Hello, fellow children. Hello, fellow teenagers. I am your cool, hip movie studio. How about that Slender Man? Am I right, y'all? Dab. Yeah, that's... that's Picture picture Steve Buscemi from that bit in 30 Rock dabbing. That's Sony right now trying to make a Slender Man movie in 20-freaking-18. Yeah, this is, this is Garbo. This is just complete and utter Garbo. Don't bother. There's way better horror movies. There's even way better bad horror movie out there. The one of the stars of this movie was in Wish Upon. That's a bad horror movie. Go see that. Don't see this. I think there's like a uh, like a short film or something. There was another slent, there's another sl- there's like an actual like almost student film or independent film that was made about Slenderman. I'm sure that's way better than this movie. This movie is utter and complete trash. I want to help you find your dog. You should be my best friend. This dog has made us a family. I want to connect with you. Ooh. Whose dog is that? Freddy. Almost don't recognize you without steam coming out your ears. Our landlord just sold the building out from under us. What about a fundraiser? We got the new tricks charity event, so come on down. Jenna! Here. Let me run. Dogs open their hearts to us to love and to be loved, and I find that beautiful. Oh, that's just my equipment. Cut them out. Whatever you think is Let happening is not. I've been misusing some terminology with this one. Apparently, I've been using anthology because I figured it's a collection of uh, multiple stories. But I think an anthology has more akin to trick or treat or uh, VHS. So you know something where the where the stories are kind of disconnected from each other. I think this what this genre is. I think the technical term is more ensemble, just an ensemble rom com. 
Uh, and to get an idea of what this movie is, re- remember the last three Gary Marshall movies he did before he died? Uh, Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve, and Mother's Day? Imagine that, but instead of centering around a holiday, it's just dogs. It's just literally dogs. That's the centerpiece for this movie is, hey, aren't dogs just the best? And the two writers behind this, one of them is a, I believe she is, uh, you've got two female writers I'm not familiar with. Um, not, you know, not the, I, I only say that because um, it's, it, it, to differentiate the fact that here are two prominent female writers. One is Erica Oyama. Who were who writes on Fresh Off the Boat and was tied to Burning Love for E and want and uh, and uh, was an actress in that uh, in this weird Ten Commandments themed comedy anthology called The Ten, which was weird. Um, yeah, she wrote on the Eric Andre Show. She she's a prominent comedic writer. She's uh, this and this is one of her first, if not. Yeah, this is this is her first uh, screen like fe- uh, feature length film. Uh, the other screenwriter is Alyssa Matsueda. It looks like uh, not too familiar with her. The only thing I've seen of hers is the Miracle Season, which is pretty boring. Uh, but I don't know if she was. I don't think she was one of the uh, the only writer on that. Yeah, she co wrote it with some guy David Aaron Cohen, who uh, did The Devil's Own and Friday Night Lights. And the other stuff of hers uh, that I that she's done, uh, Reversion and Spare Parts, I've never heard of. I have no idea if they're any good. So these are one is a TV uh, writer, one is a screenwriter with not a lot under her belt, and the director is Ken Marino. And for those who don't know, Ken Marino is a comedic actor who actually knew actually was in the Ten as well. Uh, so Ken Marino has been working with um, Erica Oyama before. She's worked. Okay, that explains a lot. She's be- he is married to Erica Oyama, so Ken Marino directed and his wife co-wrote. That explains kind of a lot. But apparently Ken Marino's also on uh, Fresh Off the Boat. Um, he's been doing drunk. He does drunk drunk history. Uh, a couple. He's done a, that a couple of times. Uh, he he did. Uh, he's in. He was Victor in Wet Hot American Summer, and he's been on Children's Hospital. Uh, he was Joseph Manfredi in Agent Carter, Axe Cop. He was Flute slash Fife Cop. Uh, the TV series Marry Me, um, Burning Love. He also did with uh, Eric Oyama, Eastbound and Down. Um, I th- what was the big one? Uh, I think he. What what was it? Uh, he was on Veronica Mars back in the day. Uh, Vinny Van Lo, um, I think he did. I think he did uh, Reno 911 Miami. I think he was on uh, the State, the old MTV. Yeah, he was on MTV's The State back in the day, which was its answer to SNL. Really great series. I highly recommend you go see The State. Go check it out. It's it's awesome. Still holds up for the most part. So Ken Marino's not a bad actor, and he's even done some writing and directing. Uh, he. Did last year's How to Be a Latin Lover. He's directed episodes of Children's Hospital, Burning Love, Funny or Die. The Gold. He did an episode of The Goldbergs. Uh, Party. He did an episode of Party Down, which I think he was. Uh, an, yeah, he was one of the actors on Party Down, 
which is another, it's a very underrated stars comedy. So once again, Ken Marino is not a bad comedian or director, and Eriko Oyama is not unfunny, and yet, these two very talented comedians, with all of their comedian buddies, because you've got the likes of Rob Corddry, Tom Lennon, um, hold on, I've lost the cast list, um, Finn Wolfhard from from Stranger Things, and he's very charismatic uh, from what I've seen him in. Um, Ava Longoria is in. Lauren Lapkiss, who's hilarious, is in this. Tig Notaro, uh, I think John Bass, whoever that is. Uh, Adam Pally is one of the prominent guys. Um, he's one of the prominent characters in this. Uh, who's the who's the dorky guy that's uh, one of the love interests? Uh, where is he? I have... I think he's John Bass. I think that's him. Let me see some more of it. Yeah, uh, John Bass is the uh, other prominent... He was the fat guy in Baywatch. He's in this. So, I mean, you know, not everybody... I mean, not everybody can be winners. But, like, you've got a decent cast. Ava Longoria can be funny. And she's working off Rob Corddry. And yet... With all of these hilarious people in this movie, it is so... It's like they weren't allowed to be really funny. And I think part of that is the lim- is the PG rating. Like, they have to be family-friendly funny. And I'll tell you this much. I had a pretty eclectic uh, ca- uh, uh, audience when I saw this. Very small, like about half a dozen people. But you had like some older couples, some younger, some kids in there, some teen, you know, some some preteens. You had a very a wide swath of demographics uh, for for how little there was, and yet the only things that got a rise out of the people in this audience, in my audience, were the dogs. The people got no reaction for the most part from my audience. They did not care about the people. They cared more about the dogs than the people. And I think that says it all. The people in this movie are generic stereotypes who do nothing for this to, 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 to warrant nearly two hours of sitting through just nothing. It's nothingness. It's generic sitcom level writing, which one of the writers has mainly worked on sitcoms, but she's been fun. I hear great things about Fresh Off the Boat and... Once again, the pe- the people behind the scenes are normally very good. I don't know what went wrong here. I don't understand what happened to make such an unfunny and tired and just outright boring comedy. Like rom coms can be hilarious if give if even in even if they're like a PG thirteen or something. A good writer can make something that's cleaner but still hilarious. This is every dog stereotype. Like, oh, hey, here's this guy can't get his dog to pee. And hey, isn't it silly that we have dog therapists? And uh uh-oh, these people don't seem to like each other. But they'll get along in the end. And then, and it's like, uh uh-oh, he's been friend-zoned. But don't worry, through just, just luck and tenacity and being just such a nice guy, he's going to finally win the heart of Vanessa Hudgens. Yeah, that's right. John Pass wins the heart of Vanessa Hudgens by just being such a nice guy. Not nice guy TM, although he, everyone here is kind of 
really creepy a lot. Like, Adam Pally and John Bass are super creepy in this movie. The guy playing the... There's, like, a veterinarian who gets, like, women... Like, middle-aged moms and cougars and young women and even one dude trying to hook up with him, I guess? At the at his veterinary hospital? It's... It's really weird and off-putting. And he's not even that good-looking. Like... They were way better looking dudes. Adam Pally is better looking than the dude playing the doctor. Uh, Ryan Hansen is the guy playing the vet. And he's he's like he's like Patrick Wilson's less interesting brother. And apparently he was in superhero movie as the bully character. And he was Dick Casablancas in the Veronica Mars movie. So I guess that's where everybody kind of knows each other. Gr- he was a grunt in G.I. Joe Retaliation. He... Apparently he's also on Teachers, which is, I think, what, HBO? Was that HBO or is that uh, TV Land? Uh, I remember that more from the uh, from the internet show. But he is not that stunning. He is, he's kind of just generic looking. Like, he looks like any average California dude his age. He's not a heartthrob. He is just... You know, generic. Like I said, he looks like Patrick Wilson's less interesting brother. Um, but yeah, it's it, it really is just a a slog, just unbearable. Slenderman nearly put me to sleep. This had me checking my watch every minute at least towards after a certain point because I'm just like, when is it over? Why is this two hours long? Oh my god, I hate it. I hate it. But it's not so bad as to warrant being on my least favorite. It is the most boring movie I've had to see this year. Like, it's not my least favorite movie this year. But it's one that I cannot recommend you sit down and watch for two hours. You're better off just spending two hours with a dog. Just, Just find... An actual dog. It could be your own dog. It could be a na- it could be a friend's dog. You could go down to the local shelter and hang out with the do- good good doggos, and that would be a better use of your time than to sit and watch this slog of a movie where the only good parts have to do with the dogs, and the dogs are the only ones that got a rise out of people in this entire movie. Two hours almost, and the only good part, the only parts that people reacted to were dogs. Because dogs, the dogs in this movie are more interesting than the people. So, yeah. It's tired. It's, it's, it's all stereotypes and hackneyed premises. Don't, don't watch this movie. Even, I can't even recommend you sit down and watch it like as, if you've got time to kill and you want to just sit down and watch Netflix. You're better off watching something way more interesting than this. I, I can't recommend this at all to people. Although maybe this kind of stuff is your thing. In which case, fine, have at it. Just, I never want to see it again. I, I don't want to see a single frame of this movie ever again. Just, just thinking about it is putting me to sleep. Let's move on. The wars are coming. Black power! Black power! Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. That's us. Stallworth Brothers. We're on a roll, baby. America first. America first. America first. If I would have known this was a clan, I wouldn't have taken this mother. 
I mentioned last week that I was telling my dad about the rise in black cinema recently. And the fact that it's, I mean, black cinema has kind of always been there, but it hasn't really been mainstream for a long while. It's been kind of relegated to indies and underground sort of like niche movies. And now we're seeing a rise in prominence in black uh, stories, in black you know, culture, in black and you know, pe- black people telling their sto- their their lives and presented it through film. And I think Get Out was kind of the start of it, the start of the recent surge, and the success of Get Out kind of led to the the uptick in more more of these black centric stories getting told. And the recent string of them, the last this last year, has been phenomenal. Uh, sorry to bother you. Still, I'm still blown away by that. And that was the guy's first ever movie, and it still blows me away. And um, I still uh, blind spotting didn't come out in my area, so I couldn't see it. However, I did get Spike Lee's new joint. Uh, his you know his his terminology, not mine. Uh, but yeah, his new movie came out, which is based on the true story, embellished a bit, I'm guessing, of Ron Stallworth, uh, a police officer for the Colorado Springs Police Department, who goes undercover with the help of one of his uh, co-workers and poses as a white man to infiltrate and bring down the KKK in, in the local chapter of the KKK. And he gets so far as to even dupe uh grand wizard david duke uh to thinking he was a white guy and it really is just a fascinating story reminds me of the it kind of reminds me of the time that uh, a a journalist just uncovered um the ku klux klan but no no papers would print his story for fear of losing readership and so what he did was turn to the superman radio show and gave them all the notes for the clan, and they made the cl- a, an allegory for the clan into the villain for a four-episode arc on the Superman radio show. And everybody learned the secrets of the clan, and they lost like all, or they, they they like imploded because of it. It's a wonderful story that is also worthy of its own movie. But that's that you know that's something else entirely. That's more just like f you to to the clan, which. Also, F you to the clan because F you. And, uh, God, my Instagram is still getting asshole right wingers deba- acting like Dinesh D'Souza's movie is like, it's just the facts. He's clearly just stating the facts and he's using some humor. And it's like, you are, you are so out of it. Like, you, the fact that you think he's, he's, op- he's representing the truth in any manner is is my is just head scratching just how how did you get to this point in your life where you think Dinesh D'Souza is some sort of bastion of truth and like a viable filmmaker in any capacity should not have tagged his movie as an as a hashtag because those assholes keep finding it I'm debating just tearing taking down the whole post altogether just because I'm sick of getting notifications from these douchebags talking things out in my in my comment section like like it's a welcome like it's like they're welcome to it. At any rate, that's that's my own problem. That's not yours. Um, so yeah, uh, 
this movie. Uh, I will say, people have been saying um, this is Spike Lee's best movie in a long time. And, I mean, yeah, I haven't seen a lot of Spike Lee's newer stuff. I haven't seen the Old Man remake. Old Boy. Old Boy remake. Uh, the one he did with Josh Brolin. Uh, I haven't seen the Miracle of St. Anna. I think it's what it's called or something like that. Uh, it was a story about um, black and white, so black and white, black, a black battalion of soldiers in World War II. Um, and I have, uh, so it's been a while since I've seen uh, a recent Spike Lee movie. And I will say this, this is definitely more in line with what he was trying to do with do the right thing. This is the thing with Spike Lee is he is not subtle uh, to quote, <laughs> Um, Angela Bassett in the recent uh, Mission Impossible movie a lot of directors use a scalpel Spike Lee prefers a hammer he is he he wields his messages like a sledgehammer and he will bash you over the head with the point he's trying to make he is subtlety is not his game he is overt with what he's trying to say and that can be uh, detrimental to his movies because a lot of people don't need to be hit over the head with something. You can be more subtle about it. But given the subject matter he's dealing with, being subtle probably isn't the best course of action. Sometimes you just need to be straight up front with people and he does not mince words when tying uh, the events of the of the movie and the clan with what's going on today. Like, you heard in the tail end of that trailer, America First... That was, uh, that is, that is, America First is terminology used by fascist movements like neo, and neo, such as the neo Nazis and, uh, the Klan, the Ku Klux Klan, you know, white nationalist fascist, fascist movements. They put the whole America First as part of their ultra nationalist agenda. And yeah, that tie, that correlation to a certain president, to a certain president, uh, is not, you know, is, is not, technically unwarranted but yeah it's it's definitely not subtle either he does not mince words once again and he also throws in he'll he throw he literally throws in references to making america great which i don't doubt that these people these people had that mentality but the wording he used was once again really hitting the nail on the head with a mount instead of a regular hammer he's just like do you get it do you get it Yes, have, do you get the point I'm making? And that can come off as off-putting uh, to some people. I, I, that's totally understandable. At the same time, those points were kind, were, weren't so much of the story and of the movie itself that it completely took away from the movie. Like, there's still enough of the movie that's about Ron Stallworth and... Um, his associate, played by Adam Driver, let me pull up his name, I've completely forgotten it, um, but Adam Driver plays a Jewish detective who works undercover and who becomes the white version, in white, you know, in-person version of Ron Stallworth, because he accidentally uses his real name with it, but, um, Flip Zimmerman is his character name, and... Adam Driver becomes hit Ron Stallworth, the white supremacist in person, while um, Ron Stallworth, the black detective, works on the over the phone. And once again, it really is such a such a powerful uh, story to be told. And they don't that doesn't show him becoming the head of the local chapter, unfortunately. 
uh, which is what the IMDb. Uh, but he does become very prominent in the local chapter of the KKK, even meets David Duke himself. And it's, it's, uh, it's a really, it is a powerful movie and I can't recommend it enough. Although once again, I don't think Spike, this, 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 this movie is as powerful as Sorry to Bother You or um, Get Out, or even Blind Spotting. I have to see Blind Spotting, but there's so many movies about the, the black the struggle, the, you know, about the treatment of black people in society, especially in recent times and given, and in the current climate, that, um, that Spike Lee's is kind of on the lower end, which only means it's, it's only like four out of five, you know, it's like eight out of ten. At, so to, in that regard, it's not as good only because Spike Lee is not working to be subtle and tell nuanced stories. He is looking to to barrel through and be like, "Hey, look at these two things. They're look they're looking pretty similar, am I right?" So he is he is not he is he has always kind of been very very you know straightforward with his messaging and, and and his beliefs and so you know i'll give you know at the same time there's like some interesting references to black exploitation in this movie uh at points there's uh there's you know there's points that are there's some solid camera tricks going on and the and the movie does make ties to the to the uh charlottesville i believe yeah charlottesville uh uh, incident, uh, incident. Uh, you know the killing that happened there and the rally that that ha- that had happened during. It it does it does once again. Spike Lee does not give an f. He just barrels through and gives and tells you how he sees it. Uh, I think inside maybe Inside Man and Malcolm X are more nuanced, but I do know I do I I'm even I even remember in Do the Right Thing he was not mincing words with a lot of stuff and that's Spike Lee's style, so I think I think it's kind of they it can definitely come off as off putting to a lot of people but at the same time I can't not recommend this movie it's still really I mean you've got the likes of Denzel Washington's son John David Washington Adam Driver and freaking Topher Grace as David Duke. Is almost too perfect. Like he looks the part, and he's able to present the this charismatic white nationalist who was, in fact, on the verge of holding office at the time. If he wasn't already, it's it's mind boggling that this was going on at the time, and people were just like okay with it. But you also had um, the guys playing the different white supremacists, like um, uh, uh, Jasper Pekinen. Uh, he's a Swedish actor. He's best known for Vikings. Uh, Ryan Eggold, Paul Wal- Paul Walter Hauser plays a guy who like almost has no teeth, and he's like, <laughs> "We don't get them." I uh, almost said it. I almost said it on mic. That would have been awful. But yeah, you get what I'm saying. He he's even though there's a there's a bit part. Uh, Felix's wife, played by Ashley Atkinson, who I didn't recognize, but she's been in. Uh, she was an Inside Man. Another Spike Lee joint, uh, Compliance, which was about um, that. I think it was about that uh, McDonald's that got that was that, that was a true story uh, where where McDonald's uh, was basically tricked by a guy 
over the phone claiming to be a police officer and you making the employees just like be, do do some terrible stuff to each other. Um, what else has she been in recently? Uh, elementary, uh, some TV series called One Dollar. Uh, she was in the latest season of Jessica Jones as a character named Mavis. Outcasts, uh, Watch Dogs 2, uh, Odd Mom Out. She seems to be like on the uh, Bridge of Spies. So she's like a character actress. Um, she's in this movie? She's like just as awful as the other white white dudes in this movie. She's uh, They did not mince words uh, with like white women are... Are, are innocent. Now this this white woman is just as bad as the other guys. It's it does it not it is not it does not once again does not mince words. And I will say this: Harry Belafonte is in one scene, and he gives just one of the most beautiful monologues I've heard in the in a long time from an actor. He the, the story he tells. I don't know if it's true or not. Um, but it, they use photographs that seem to be from the time period, so I would not be surprised if it was true. And the monologue he gives is, like, just so powerful. And it works so much more uh, coming from a, a, such, a, such a well-regarded actor like Harry Belafonte. So once again, this movie is not the best in terms of um, presenting the struggle and, and, tell, and, in like, and like tackling it. The way that, you know, Get Out, even like something like Moonlight did. But it's definitely a must-see movie. It is a powerful movie at times. It's kind of, it's kind of over the top at points. Once again, it's a definitely, it, Spike Lee does not, does not care what you think. He, he's going to speak his mind no matter what. And it may work for you, it may not. But I definitely, I definitely, I can definitely recommend this movie and definitely recommend you go see it when you get if you get the chance. Just grab my phone. How to charge it? Yeah, I mean sometimes I charge it too, but my my phone. I just because things are happening right now doesn't mean they're always gonna happen. Who was in there? Just started my hopes and dreams. Right. I was a complete mess when I was your age. Really? Eighth grade is the worst. You never know what's next. And that's what makes things exciting and scary and fun. When did you get Snapchat? What grade? Fifth grade. Fifth grade? What? Yo, see. Our last movie has been making the rounds for the last couple of weeks, but I finally got a chance to see it in more theaters this weekend. And it started to expand into more theaters. And that's Bo Burnham's uh, second major motion picture. He did another indie movie before this. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's he is. Um, you may re- you will probably recognize uh, Bo Burnham more as the comedian. Uh, he he did uh, that special. What he's a he's a comedic musician and stand up, um, and he's and he's. He's probably one of the funniest uh, comedians out there. And this is actually... Wait. Wait a second. Oh, no, that's writing. What about directing? Uh, No, those are all TV specials. He directed uh, Gerard Carmichael's TV special. So this is actually his first major motion picture. I thought he had a second one. Huh. So, yeah, this is his motion picture debut as a writer-director. And it is phenomenal. It is 
one of the best coming of age movies I've seen in a long time. Um, the story tells of Kayla Day, I believe her name is Day. Um, yeah, Kayla Day, who is an eighth grader uh, on the ver- on, in the final week of eighth grade at, about to start high school. And she is trying to present herself as like one of these vloggers. Uh, she has a young, young, oh God. This hit home, folks. This hit home for me in a way that most movies don't. She had a young fledgling YouTube channel where she did vlogs and was barely getting like two views a video. Kayla, my girl, I feel you. I feel you so hard with that. I can barely make it into the double digits on these episodes as it is. I, I this it that is my struggle. That is my that is my life. That is my life as a creator on the internet. That hit home in a way that a lot of movies don't in that regard. It really is just like she does vlogs and they they only get like a view each over at all. And I'm like that's my life. That is Entirely my life. I, I feel you. I'm like twice your age, but I'm that that is my that that is my life right now. At the same time, you know, she also struggles with the same the usual adolescent stuff, not being being struggling with speaking out and being open and making friends and communicating with other people. Like she gets invited to a popular girl's birthday party by her by the girl's mom. And the girl's mom essentially, like, forces the daughter to invite Kayla over. And the friend she does... And then when she does find a group of kids that she likes being around, it it doesn't work out for her. She's got a crush on a boy who doesn't know she exists. And when she tries to... Tries to appeal to him, she, she uh, just embarrasses herself. And it really is just... Bo Burnham is a master of the awkward. Like, he knows exactly how to present awkwardness of, of, of reality in a way that's, like, too real. The only reason I'm not as into this movie as so many other people are is... He's too real. This is, this is like somebody's real life, it feels like. Bo Burnham has captured reality in a way that feels too honest and it's like hitting really close to home and it's and the awkwardness is like skin crawling at points it's just like oh god i I, you just like my empathy for this girl is like through the roof like oh 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 cringe cringe but it's not a bad cringe it's like they don't know any better cringe it is the cringe of somebody that you wish would would stop putting their foot in their mouth. It is beautiful in that regard. It, he really did capture... And for the most part, it's all relative unknowns. Like, Elsie Fisher is the star, and she's best known for being the original voice of Agnes in the Despicable Me franchise. But the guy playing her dad, uh, is his best known movies are Francis Ha, which was uh, 
um, what's her name, Lady Bird, uh, Greta Gerwig's directorial debut, and uh, and the movie Alive from 1993. Uh, before this, he was Matt Jensen in Eight and Thirteen Reasons Why. So more teens may know him from that. He is also in Madam Secretary and Grace Point, the miniseries. Uh, he was Hank Fox on a season of American Horror Story. So he's probably he's you know he's not a well known actor, whereas so many of these teen movies tend to like like uh, Love Simon featured Tony Hale from uh, from Arrested Development at the Principal, or um, Woody Harrelson in Edge of Seventeen, or you know once again Saoirse Ronan in Lady Bird. Like these are named actors. I couldn't tell you anything about the actors in this movie besides Elsie French. Um, uh, Emily Robinson plays this high school girl who becomes Elsie, uh, Kayla's shadow. Apparently she's on Transparent, uh, but I, I didn't recognize her at all. Uh, I'm trying to, let's, let me think of the other adult. Uh, here, the, uh, the popular girl's mom is known for Manchester by the Sea and Mad Men. That's it. She didn't even get a full slate. Of uh, known by in her um, IMDb page, uh, Mr. McDaniel. Okay, the the principal here. Um, the guy playing the principal is is a bit role had a bit role on Gotham and was known as the and played the weird guy on Veep. So he is a you know workman actor, just whatever role he can get. And this is probably his most prominent role. And, you know, he is the awkward... Like, he even does a dab to try and try and be hip with the, with the kids. He is, he is how I see Sony Pictures. In fact, if I, get a, if I could find that bit of him dabbing, I would absolutely turn that into Sony Pictures uh, making a Slenderman movie. Because that's how it feels. Um... There is a bit uh, where, kind of like in dog, where like in Dog Days, there is a bit where it's like, oh my god, there's this kid and he's so hot, and uh, there's this guy and he's so hot. The main character just thinks they're so hot, and this time around, the kid like you can tell he's not he's not super hot, dead, drop dead gorgeous. He's kind of awkward looking, but he's he's the kind of hot that you that that you, when you're that age, you're like, oh. Oh, it's that kid. And objectively, they're not hot. But because of your age and your um, proximity and your history with them and knowing them, you just think they're the hottest person in the world. And uh, the only other thing he's been in is a short called Boy in a Backpack. So this is like his first feature-length film. So this kid is, you know, this kid is... Is getting up. Yeah, once again, these are all relatively unknown actors. There isn't a known quantity besides Elsie Fisher. And she nails it. Just dynamite performance. I could see a nomination when the the awards come around for her in a leading role. Maybe um, more Golden Globes than Oscar because they tend to go for older. But she may get a... She may get thrown an Oscar nomination. uh, Which uh, I'll get into the Oscars in the discussion portion. Uh, but suffice to say, Elsie Fisher is the centerpiece of this movie. She is what makes it work so well. And I'm interested to see if Bo Burnham does any more movies, because this is quite 
the quite the debut. <laughs> it really is. Although it, it's kind of weird, I did notice A24 has do, is doing like three coming-of-age movies within like a three-month period. You've got this, you've got Never Going Back, which is about two girls growing up in Texas, and you've got Jonah Hill's debut, Mid-90s, which is about growing up in 1995 in L.A. So A24 is doing a whole bunch. They did Lady Bird last year. So, A24 is, like, doing a lot of coming-of-age stories, and it I'm not sure what the deal is there. Like, what's with all the coming-of-age stories? Is that going to be your thing now? I don't know. Suffice to say that 8th grade is definitely... It's not going to top my picks for this year, but it's definitely worth mentioning, because it really is just one of the best sort of cap, capsule, you know, encapsulations of... Adolescence, especially in the present day and in, in, in modern his in modern times, the present day adolescent experience is this movie, and I can't. I think it captures it better than um, even Edge of Seventeen did. I think this is the perfect encapsulation of present day adolescence, and I highly recommend it. Although, once again, it's super awkward and like. Just if you if if you're like me and you can't handle the awkwardness for so for for ninety minutes because it's ninety minutes of just like all of the awkward moments. Just uh, what's the what's the thing like awkward awkward turtle or whatever the thing you do with your the, the little fist bumpy thing that you, that that people do uh, is it's it really is just awkward. Just everybody's awkward and it's off-putting and creepy and weird at a lot of points. So, but once again, it's just super good. So uh, this is this is John Bailey. Like, comment, and subscribe. Signing off, Gucci. You'll get those references if you watch the movie. Uh, <laughs> point is, yeah, go watch Eighth Grade if you get the chance. It really is spectacular. And with that said, uh, we're gonna take a quick break and come back for my first ever lightning round. That's what we're going to do for the discussion because there's a bunch of topics I want to deal with and not a lot of time to talk about them. So let's get into that. The four of you enter a dark room lit only by two torches. In between the torches stands a robed figure in a long, with a long white beard. Greetings, travelers. The fate of the realm is in your hands. What is it that you require? Uh, well, I was just saying that I probably could use an insurance policy on the realm as a whole, because if we're the ones saving it, uh, I, I may be getting a chance to cash that in. Now, I was just wondering, um, how intelligent can some of these creatures be before it gets weird if I eat them? Pit DM would be really nice. Oh, I guess it's my turn. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep that Yeah, one. use that one. Join our bumbling protagonists as they try not to die, and maybe save the world in the process. Welcome to Tragic Missile.
So my initial discussion point was going to be Spooky August. The idea that people are starting to, studios are starting to release more and more horror movies in the month of August and why that is. But given some recent events and the, I feel the need to, you know, feeling the need to talk about them, I decided to uh, implement a new uh, segment. Something I'm dubbing Lightning Round. The first topic I want to talk about in this week's uh, Lightning Round discussion is an update on MoviePass. MoviePass has implemented, since I, since last week's episode, a restriction on the number of movies being that you can use the pass for. And this weekend, when I had five movies to see in theaters, I was restricted to, like, two choices for movies to see with MoviePass. One of which was one I already used, so I couldn't see it a second time with the MoviePass. MoviePass is dead, y'all. Just drop it. I highly recommend, once again, the AMC Stubbs uh, A-List or the Cinemark Movie Club. I used Cinemark Movie Club this weekend. I saved, like, I saved a couple bucks on the ticket price when I went to see Slender using it. And I even got, like, 20% off my concessions using it. So I went from 30 to, like, 25 with, uh, and when, I did conce- when I bought the concessions with my nephew to see Slenderman. And I can, I gotta say, it's just movie pass is not a viable option anymore. And when I came home from helping out, uh, my my dad takes part in the community day with uh, his local uh, sort of fraternal organization, the Kwanis. And I when after I brought my nephew home from that and seeing Slenderman, I was hang, we were hanging out at home watching some TV. My parents still have cable, and I saw movie pass on demand. MoviePass has just given up selling tickets. They want to be Netflix now, which makes sense. They have the former guy from Redbox and Netflix in charge, so that's where he wants to take it to the company. Drop MoviePass for tickets. They've given up on you. You need some. You deserve something better. Once again, I highly recommend AMC Stubbs, A-List, and Movie Cinemark Movie Club. Those are your better options. Lightning round. This next topic is one that I've started to notice. I used Amazon Prime for one of the Patreon uh, tie-ins this week, uh, specifically Jaws 3D, which was uh, all the Jaws movies are currently on Amazon Prime for free. And as I was watching it, this is the third movie that I've tried to watch on Amazon where they darkened the screen beyond all recognition. I don't know what it is with Amazon Video, but apparently from some of the articles I found on it, Amazon purposefully darkens their movies to make them look, quote, more cinematic, unquote. Apparently it's more cinematic to not be able to see the damn... On 4K televisions. This is happening on 4K, the highest of commercially available definitions in tech, tech... You know, the technology has given us, and Amazon decides, yeah, let's turn down the brightness. Screw you. You want to see something? Buy it from somebody else. Who cares? Um, the other one that I had a problem with is Fandango Now. So with Amazon, I couldn't see a damn thing that was going on on screen because Amazon decided to turn the brightness down to zero. And with Fandango Now, I was watching Fear.com. Once again, I'll t- get into that during the Patreon corner. But while watching on Fandango.now, which is Fandango's streaming service, 
This was the only place I could find Fear.com available was on Fandango now. And for a t- you could hear it in the Munch Along on Patreon, but I'll, I'll recapture the experience for you now. There are points where the movie sounded a lot like this. YouTube didn't have this problem when playing the trailer. I'm assuming the movie didn't have this problem in theaters. What the hell is going on with Fandango now where it sounds like everything's underwater? What the hell happened? Why d- Why does Fandango now sound like this? I don't know the deal. And I'm beginning to wonder just how viable some of these streaming options are if that's how they present. Amazon doesn't want you to see a damn thing. Fandango now doesn't want you to hear a damn thing. I don't know what to expect next. I don't know. So be be cautious when you're renting and streaming movies. Because apparently this crap is out there and you need to be warned of it to say, to spare you some money. I mean, it cost me nothing but for, to watch it on Amazon and like three bucks to watch it on Fandango now. But still, if there was a better option available, I should have used it because... I should, you, nobody deserves a lesser movie watching experience because companies are being cheapos. Lightning round! And the last topic I wanted to hit on this lightning round discussion was the recent announcement from the Oscars. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced some changes for the Oscars broadcast. Specifically, the addition of a new category and their way of cutting down from four hours to three because people are not staying in, staying tuned in for the entire broadcast. And I'll also give my thoughts on how to improve the Oscars uh, from a layman's perspective. Uh, So their changes, what they thought were good ideas was to cut the acceptance speeches from lesser categories. So all the technical awards, probably foreign language film, Probably animated film, the shorts category. None of those people get to hear their their acceptance speeches heard on national television. They're just not important enough anymore. Oscars have deemed the ABC and the Oscar and the Academy have deemed their acceptance speeches not worthy of airtime because people aren't paying attention to them. And of course, the infamous new change, the addition of the quote mo. Ex, uh, excellent in, mo- in popular film category, unquote. And this is a level of pretension of the highest order. People have brought this up already. I know Corey has brought this up uh, when he talked about the, this development. Specifically, the Oscar has already nominated popular movies. Gladiator, Lord of the Rings, uh, Beauty and the Beast got a Best Picture nomination. That was an ad- that led to the creation of the animated category. Um, t- uh, Toy Story three saw a, a, saw a nomination for Best Picture. Um, Shape of Water was a commercially successful and popular movie that won Best Picture. Gladiator won Best Picture. Return of the King was one of the highest grossing movies of that year, and it won and it swept the Oscars. Being popular doesn't mean you're not a great movie and you don't deserve recognition. You can get that. The Academy just wants to be a bunch of pretentious twats like 
You remember if you remember my rant from a couple of weeks ago about the douchebags who made the joke about the the Disney Fox uh, buyout and made the joke at the expense of Marvel fans. That's the kind of people making these decisions at the Academy Awards. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences thinks that blockbuster movies are beneath their nomination process. And they're just throwing us a bone, man. They're just giving us a little taste. Suicide Squad is an Academy Award winning movie because... These blockbusters can get nominated on the technical end, and if they're good, Black Panther easily, apparently, apparently, this category was given to throw a bone to Black Panther because, God forbid, you put it as, an, as a nomination for adapted screenplay and best, the Dark Knight was nominated for best picture and won best leading actor. The Dark Knight is an Academy Award winning movie. A Batman movie has an Academy Award to its name. And was nominated for several Oscars. Don't tell me popular movies don't belong at the Oscars. Because back in the day, back in the day, Star Wars, Jaws, popular movies were given Oscars no problem. It wasn't a problem. I mean, for the longest time, it was usually what what made the most money that year. What is the most successful movie that year? That was considered the pinnacle in film that year. But apparently, the Academy wants to be a bunch of snooty twats and not and not recognize good filmmaking, no matter where it comes from. Oh, we, this is a comic book movie. We can't give it an Oscar for Best Picture. But it was okay to nominate The Dark Knight a couple years ago. And it was okay to nominate Toy Story in 2010. Avatar was very close to winning Best Picture. It was nominated for a lot of categories. Titanic won Best Picture. That was one of the most successful movies of all time. Oh, gee. It's more like the Oscars a bunch of pretentious douchebags who think they're throwing us a bone. Meanwhile, the Golden Globes have a better understanding of how to how to present awards. The split from drama and comedy, it's fine, I guess. It makes sense. That way you award comedies and lighthearted film as much as you award drama and tragedy and darker, more, more, more morose film. You know, more, more deep film. So... That part makes sense. I don't see the Oscars pulling that. That's a kind of a Golden Globes trick. However, that does not... You, the, you want to know how to fix the Oscars? Number one, cut the red carpet segment in, in like half. Just run everybody along. You don't need to drag it out in the lead up, the preamble to the actual award ceremony. That is insane. Who, it, that should not matter. If nothing else, don't make it part of the actual broadcast. Make it part of some side broadcast. Put that part on the internet. Who cares about the damn red carpet segment? You can have those interviews on the internet, no problem. Doesn't matter. Does not matter. Those parts suck. I'm sorry if you like them, but they they have nothing to do with the actual ceremony. They don't need to be broadcast. They can be put on the internet later. They can be live streamed. They can be part of a separate broadcast. Doesn't matter. Cut it short. Cut it to 30 minutes. Do a highlights reel. They don't matter. 
Number two, start early. It's a Sunday. You can start at like noon and you're fine. And then you want to know how to, you want to know how to, how to make it go faster. Like, okay. If it starts at noon, it's like four o'clock. So here's a better idea. Maybe don't make it a live broadcast. Maybe you just record it and record it that day. Cut it, cut it down into, into more reasonable chunks. Edit it down to like three and a half hours and you're golden. Plus, I thought the four hours was good for your advertising. Oh, but wait, you aren't drawing in people. Maybe it's because you crammed the damn thing full of so many ads, it's not funny. I get you want to make money off of this thing, but guess what? We don't care about the broadcast so much. So maybe, maybe make it ad-free. Maybe make it a one long, contiguous chunk that's ad-free, no commercial breaks, run straight through from beginning to end. That would be a straight three hours. Maybe if you're not cutting any, every 10 minutes for, for an extra 10-minute commercial break, we wouldn't be running until midnight, the night of. Have you thought about that? Maybe you have that chunk of time slated just for the Oscars, no commercial breaks, limited commercial breaks even. Five-minute commercial breaks every half an hour. Half an hour, take a quick fiver for commercials, then we get right back into it. That, that seems way more reasonable. But once again, ABC and Disney want all of the monies. So they want more people to watch. And rather than maybe make a straightforward three-hour limited commercial award ceremony. They want to chop it up as much as they can and cram as much Imagine Dragons and ex-ambassadors into our eardrums and watch just every amount of garbage. They want to treat it like the damn Super Bowl. But guess what? The Oscars isn't the Super Bowl. You can't treat it like the Super Bowl. You want to treat it like it's something special, something unique, something once a you know, maybe something that happens only once a year. Maybe something, make it a spectacle, make it a spectacular, something that you don't try to, try to advertise to death. Make something that is worth watching. Maybe don't hire all of your in, in-house comedians to host every year. Maybe you pick people who are interesting. Some of the best hosts were, I don't know, Billy Crystal, Jon Stewart, Chris Rock, people who, you find people who are great MCs. That aren't are part of your payroll already. You don't need... Jimmy Kimmel and Ellen are just not interesting hosts. They bring nothing. I don't want you to recreate the, the, the James Franco and Hathaway fiasco. But there are MCs. Explore your various MCs. Find stand-ups. Find interesting people. Bring Conan in to host. Bring, um, bring David Letterman in to host. Uh, bring... Uh, try to think of who is bring Trevor Noah into host, you know, bring him off the daily show or bring, um, you know, find people who are great MCs and hosts and interesting personalities and characters to, cause Jimmy Kimmel is a blank slate. Who cares? Like the only thing that's making him interesting is when he tries to make things personal as, as and tries to relate personally to the audience and call out the president. That's the only time he's been interesting. Otherwise, he's just as generic and boring as every other milk toast late night's ho- late night host out there. All of the network hosts are boring and lame. Bring in Arsenio. 
bring in um, Drew Carey, bring in, uh, you know, bring in interesting people, people you wouldn't expect, people that aren't necessarily on your payroll, bring in some more, bring in Lewis Black to host, bring in, um, uh, 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 trying to think, um, who's a good, who would be a great host? Patton Oswalt, bring Patton Oswalt into host. Or bring, uh, you bring somebody out of the ordinary. Bring, you know, maybe have, um, uh, uh, ooh, 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 um, try to think off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm, I'm losing, I, 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 you know, but there are comedians and MCs out there that are interesting, that are unique, that bring, an, uh, bring a flavor to the gig. Instead of, but, but, but ABC would rather just pick somebody off their payroll and say, you host it this year because that's easier. And then maybe switch up the writing room a bit. Bring in interesting comedians to, to do the punch up and the, and the jokes. You know, so, something like that. Punch up the writing room, bring in some more interesting people to, to write, bring in some more interesting people to host. I mean, once again, if you've got great writers, you just need a solid host. Um, Chris Evans and Hemsworth are charismatic. They could host. Find the people who host on SNL. Who does a great job? Drain the Rock Johnson. He could host the Oscars. He would be funny. He'd be great. Charismatic. He could handle it. You know? Find the people who are like the best hosts on SNL and have them host the Oscars. Really, this isn't a hard job. You're just making it harder by being lazy about it. And then you wonder why nobody watches because you don't care. You don't really care. You're just not making all of the money. And so you're trying to switch it up by not actually doing anything. You could nominate, I don't know, from all of the movies instead of every little indie movie that nobody saw after a two-week run. Like, that's the whole thing. Best Picture could mean anything. You know, you could have Black Panther be nominated for Best Picture. That could easily work. Not every Best Picture nominee has to be some indie film nobody's ever heard of and won't get released until after the Oscars airs so they can get that buzz from the nomination slash win. Maybe do it that way. Maybe nominate it for wide releases and limited releases so that maybe movie some of the movies that people actually saw are featured as part of the nominees. I don't know. Maybe pay attention to what's being in, being aired in theaters. Oh, here's a better option. Have the have the members of the academy actually watch the goddamn movies. This has been a contentious point with the Oscars or point of contention with the Oscars the entire time. Nobody watches the goddamn movies that that are nominated. More people in the audience take time out of their day to rewatch the nominees than the voting members of the Academy. Here's another option. Have a cap on the number of, of Academy members who can vote. If you're over 70, maybe over 80, you should not be a voting member of the Academy. You're, you're barely functioning by that point. Unless you can... If you cannot take time out to watch every single movie that is nominated for the categories that you're allowed to vote in, and take the time out to actually watch the things that you are voting on, and take part in the process, you should not be a voting member of the Academy. I don't know. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe if the Academy members actually watched the damn thing, instead of just took whatever amount of money producers paid them to vote a certain way, maybe more people would care the damn about the goddamn Oscars. Have you thought about that? 
The Academy is a, the Academy is a joke. The Academy and the Oscars are a joke. And the only way they're going to be taken seriously is if they stop doing the things that make them a joke. I mentioned them here. Stop, stop using payola and payouts to pick winners. Actually nominate stuff from movies that people saw this year. Actually watch the damn movies that get nominated. And stop all the bullshit. This isn't the Super Bowl. If you want people to actually watch it, make it something worth watching. So yeah, the Oscars are a joke. And unfortunately, as a movie reviewer and you know somebody who comments on filmmaking, I have to take them seriously. At least enough to, co- to talk about them. But I hate, the Oscars is the least is my least favorite thing to talk about in regards to this job because they don't matter. They honestly do not matter. None of the awards matter. It's back padding and circle jerking for the industry. Who gives a damn? Suicide Squad won, won an Academy Award. Fat lot of good it makes that, you know? All it does is make you throw up a little in your mouth when you say Academy Award winner Suicide Squad. That's all. Seriously, Star Trek Beyond had way better makeup in that movie. What the, what the hell is wrong with you people? So yeah, the Oscars are a joke. They continue to be a joke, and until they actually pay attention to what people's issues are with them and change those things... They're going to remain a joke. And that was my lightning round. Um, Let me know what you think about that whole idea. Maybe if there's a lot of of news stories and a lot of uh, big changes that are happening in the industry. In a a certain wake, I can try this again. But uh, I I, kind of dug it. I kind of dug this concept. And we'll see if I use it again. Uh, With that being said, let's move on to our next segment, Patreon Corner. And now a stopover on Patreon Corner. I mentioned uh, during my um, streaming rant that uh, basically this week for Patreon Corner, uh, which once again you can go uh, you can go find the content there on Patreon.com/slash Popcorn Junkie. I do new stuff every week for the, specifically for Patreon, and I updated the tier. So all you have to do is donate a dollar. And you can get early access, be thanked on every episode, and even start suggesting stuff once, I, once I've reached the goals for suggestions. And right now, the first goal for the podcast is to get $10 a month from patrons, and then, that way I can start, uh, start taking people's suggestions for uh, Make a Better Movie, Munch Along, and even Patreon-sponsored reviews for the podcast. So during Patreon Corners, I will take people's suggestions for a review, and they will be given that shout-out. Um, I dropped the tier system, just should not limit that access to people based on how much they pay, how much money is disposable for them. If you can, if you can donate as little as a dollar a month, you can have access to the whole archive plus hat plus take part in the actual production of the podcast yourself. You can feel like a co-creator on the podcast, so to speak. So once again, if you, if you have the, if you have the opportunity and you're able to, Donate to patreon.com slash popcorn junkie. It'll help me out a great lot. And and after we reach some after we reach that first goal, you can also start helping um support helping support the podcast creatively by suggesting content for it. Uh with that being said, this week's Patreon content was a much along for fear.com and a make a better movie for Jaws 3D. 
Uh, Jaws 3D, I had seen little bits of, but I never sat down and watched the whole thing. It's bad. It's more fun than The Meg, but it's it's really bad. And I did break down what I think would make it better. Mainly, take it either more seriously like the first Jaws, give us more interesting characters, or don't limit yourself to like a couple of scenes of gore and murder and killing. Just go Sharknado, you know, go all out and ham it up and just be a schlocky B-horror movie. That was those were my suggestions to making a better Jaws 3D was either go big or go home or just do, make a better movie period just more interesting characters more drama more you know character dynamics more personalities one or the other all you got to do is pick one and then the much along was for fear.com which I had only heard of in passing never actually saw that was in tie-in that was a tie-in to Slenderman and boy was it bad I mean. But not only was the streaming bad because it did the whole underwater effect for no reason. What the hell, Fandango.com? But on top of that, it's a ring ripoff, which I didn't even realize until I watched Phelous' review of it from his early days uh, uh, talking about just horror movies. It's a ring ripoff. It's a total ring ripoff. And I completely missed that during the course of the movie because I just was so just turned off by the whole thing. Like... It doesn't understand basic internet language and internet activity. It's it's got the only recognizable actor is freaking Steven Dorff. It's such a lazy horror movie, and it and all I, and like I was bored during it and started looking up other things to do than that movie because it it really did just had had nothing to offer. It was nothing. It was a nothing horror movie. But at least it was more interestingly an interesting kind of bad than Slenderman was. <laughs> it didn't put me to sleep like Slenderman did. It was just it just made me want to do other more, other more interesting things with my time. Olive, <laughs> it was bad. Yeah. So if you want to hear, if you want to do a watch along for, with Fear.com, maybe find a place to rent it or stream it, or you know, if you, you can get access to the movie, uh, then you can listen to the Munch Along I did for it as a sort of riff track style comedy uh, commentary, and you know you, can, you know, once again, as if you donate as low as a dollar, you get the entire back catalog from Iron Man three, make it better Iron Man three, to a Munch Along for ants, just all, all kinds of Patreon content is is available and ready for access with the, just as little as a dollar a month. So if you have the opportunity, please support the podcast. I'd greatly appreciate it. And for next week, um, we've got Crazy Rich Asians, Alpha, and Mile 22. Plus, I'm doing the Ghibli Fest for Graveyard of the Fireflies. Probably won't do a Patreon content tie into that. Um, we'll see about Make a Better Movie. I haven't decided on um, which, you know, which to go with that one. Suffice to say that the... <laughs> what year was it? Um, there's a movie starring... Ringo Starr, that was about cavemen. It is literally called Caveman. 1981, Ringo Starr and Dennis, Qua- Dennis Quaid and Shelley Long in a musical caveman comedy. I'm going to go find that wherever, it is, wherever it's available. And, and <laughs> that'll be the munch along to tie into Alpha. Another Sony release. But, uh, yeah, it's... 
I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll announce what the Patreon uh, tie-in to is for Munch Along for um, for Make a Better Movie. But the Munch Along is going to be for Kate for the 1981 comedy Caveman, starring Ringo Starr of the Beatles. So expect a lot of Beatles references and a lot of Liverpudlian accents. Oh no! Oh no! Uh, banging on a trashkin, drumming on a streetlight. That's uh, that's from Doug. I watched uh, um, Pushing Up Roses is Doug retrospective. Really great stuff. Go su- go subscribe to Pushing Up Roses. She's amazing. Uh, so yeah, that's what that was this week's Patreon corner. Remember, that's it. Remember, all you have to do is support patreon.com slash popcorn junkie with as little as a dollar a month, and you too can get the access to all of these episodes plus plus all of the rewards that I've that are stated there. Uh, and once again, and this will be the section where I shout out to uh, Patreon supporters uh, during the episode. So if you end up supporting the podcast, you can expect to hear your name here and Hell, if if we can get like upwards in the hundreds, I will gladly list every single one of you as as a as a support, you know, as one of my supporters. I would be happy to because you would help make this podcast and producing it so much easier. With that being said, let's move on to the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. All right, let's, we're going to take a look at this week's box office report. Uh, first of all, I do want to mention, oh, I'm so happy to see this. Death of a Nation dropped by over half. Couldn't even break a million dollars this weekend. So, I mean, it still probably made back its money, but I'm just glad to see it already on its way out. Um, sadly, 8th grade took a dive this weekend, which I saw. Uh, only brought in a million, but... It brought in $10 million on what not a budget listed on uh, Box Office Mojo. Let's take a look at Wikipedia. I can't believe it'd be over um, $10 million. Uh, no budget listed. Let's take a look at some of A24's other movies, just for curiosity's sake. Uh their last what's what's an, what's one of their last uh last product last uh little productions something small something that's not too high concept uh lean on Pete last movie star vanishing Sydney Hall disaster artist Ladybird how much did Ladybird cost Ladybird cost. Ten million dollars. So, I think I think it's probably made back its mu- its budget. We'll see if it does any better. I think word of mouth may help it out, but we'll see. Uh, it doesn't. It seems to be dropping out of the box office lists for right now. That went from twelve to sixteen this weekend. So maybe it'll stick around. We'll see. If more theaters can play it, then because uh, the theater count didn't change, it's still in a thousand theaters. So if maybe some more theaters can pick it up, more people can check it out. Uh, I hope so because it's good. Um, Dog Days premiered below the top 10 even. It only premiered at 12. Uh, it, it, it only brought in $2.6 million so far. Uh, international gross brought... Uh, well, wait. Hold on. 
Uh, total gross three point six million because I think it premiered on Wednesday. Uh, how much did it cost to make? Let's find out. Twenty eighteen film cost ten million to make. It might make that back, but I don't think it's gonna make. I don't think it's gonna turn a profit. And good because nobody should see this movie. It does not. It does not warrant going out to a theater to see. So good. Screw you. More people want to see The Incredibles 2 and Ant-Man again than wanted to see Dog Days for the first time. Great. Fantastic. Love it. Speaking of Ant-Man and the Wasp, it finally dropped out of the top seven. So they had a good run. So did The Incredibles 2. Good for them. Uh, uh, other, others, one, other ones to drop out of the top seven are Hotel Transylvania 3 and Equalizer 2. They did all right. Equalizer 2, sadly, couldn't, uh, couldn't really snuff it. And that's okay. I think we're good with two Equalizer movies. We're done. Uh, dropping down from number four to number seven is Mamma Mia. Here we go again. Bringing in $103 million domestically and bring and it's, and having a worldwide gross of $280 million. So it still hasn't, out, it still hasn't outperformed the first one. But once again, people love this. People love this crap. I don't know why they like celebrities doing bad karaoke versions of ABBA songs instead of just listening to ABBA, but whatever. Dropping down from number three to number six is The Spy Who Loved Me, which brought in $6.6 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to $24.5 million, and its worldwide gross up to $26 million, and with a budget of $40 million, it is tanking. This is not, this is probably, this isn't a bad bomb, but it's definitely a bomb. It's it is not going to do well. I bear it may barely make back its money before the end of its run, but it is people are not interested in seeing this one, and I can't say I blame them. Premiere at number five this weekend is Spike Lee's Black Klansman, which brought in ten point seven million dollars, bringing its total gross up to eleven point one million dollars. Uh, it had a little bit of uh, br- a little bit brought in from the foreign markets, so. He's just under his budget. If he can make up the 30 at the, by the end of his run, he's golden. But, yeah, it's, it, it, uh, not a lot of people went out to see it, but it still premiered in the top five, so good for him. Uh, premiering just above Black Clansman at number four is Slenderman with $11.3 million and no foreign market, so a total of 11.3. So it made back its budget over the weekend, but I don't... But I think enough people are going to call it out for its crap that we'll see if it has enough legs to warrant more movies in the franchise. I really hope not. Although maybe they can get better. Dropping from number two to number three is Disney's Christopher Robin, which brought in $12.4 million, bringing its domestic total up to $50 million and its global total up to 62 Probably doesn't help that they can't show it in China because Xi Jinping is a petty, petulant little child who doesn't like being called Winnie the Pooh. Oh, poor widow baby. Oh, does does everyone call you Winnie the Pooh? Poor widow baby. <laughs> Do not care. Sadly, with a budget of seventy million dollars, Christopher Robin is not doing well enough to to uh, warrant. Like, I, I think it's probably. I think it's probably going to go down as one of the more forgotten live-action sequels. But, I mean, for what it's worth, it's it's decent. I can't say it's one of the better versions, one, one of the better 
live action remakes, but for what it's worth, it's fine. Dropping out of the number one slot after two weeks is Mission Impossible Fallout, which brought in $20 million this weekend, bringing its total, uh, domestic total up to $161.9 million, and its global total up to $437.5 million. The foreign markets really ate this up. They helped propel this. It, it, it made most of its budget back in the, domestically. It, uh, it made most of its budget back domestically. The foreign markets propelled it into profit territory. Uh, let's see what. Let's take a look at the foreign markets. Who's paying to see this movie? Uh, you've got four million from Australia, eight from Brazil, ten from France, uh, eight from India, ten from Japan, nine from Mexico. You've got forty-three from South Korea. South Korea is really pushing it, and then eighteen from the United Kingdom. No word on China. So does, China's not list. Of course, China's very. Um, it, it's not very uh, upfront with its uh, box office reports. I've come to find out. So I, I can understand why their reportings are not going into the foreign total. Uh, but that being said, a lot of people are going going to see this. Five million dollars from Hong Kong alone. So yeah, people are digging this movie. Well, mostly in the millions. The only places where you're not seeing a lot of million-dollar uh, week um, grosses are like Aust- Austria, Bolivia, Bulgaria, Chile, Croatia, Czech Republic, Finland, uh, Hungary, Iceland. A lot of the, not a big hit in the Scandinavian countries. Israel didn't break a million. Panama didn't break a million. Paraguay. Uh, couldn't even break uh, into the triple dig- into the six double digits. It's only at fifty nine thousand. Peru, South America, not doing well in South America. Not not as big in some of the European some parts of Europe. Uh, Slovakia, South Africa, it almost grows to a million. Uh, and Switzerland, it almost grows to a million. Uruguay is also uh, only sixty thousand for it. So that may have to do with uh, currency exchange rate. It may also have to do with how this plays in their market 7 million from from Russia uh something like I think the big the biggest proponent for this movie is South Korea uh, and you also get the UK, Japan, uh uh France they're really digging the Tom Cruise so this is still a viable franchise uh I don't know how it compares let's see how it compares to the Vision Possible series um Unadjusted for inflation, it's still behind the first movie, and but it's doing it's already doing better than Mission Impossible Three. Uh, still the lowest grossing adjusted for inflation uh, worldwide. Unadjusted, it's still the number five out of six. It's still not doing better. It, if it can make twenty million dollars next weekend, which it has a very high probability of doing, it, it will surpass the first Mission Impossible movie in terms of its. Um, in terms of its, in terms of its box office, but once again, it has until probably December to leave box to leave the box office. So by the end of its run, it may end up closer to the to the last two, Rogue Nation and Ghost Protocol, which are the top two of the of the series. So good, good on you, Mission Impossible. You're doing good. And premiering at number one this weekend is The Meg at forty four and a half million dollars. And once again. This is estimated to have cost $150 million. However, thanks to the foreign markets, it did manage to make back its budget 
by opening weekend. No word on who's to blame in the foreign markets, but apparently there's like 90 some million dollars brought in by the foreign markets for this one. So maybe China came through. So it may end up doing well in the long run, thanks to the foreign markets. But I can't, I honestly can't recommend anybody in any market go see this movie because it is not worth seeing. It really is bad. It is, it's bad in a way that's not fun, which is the worst part. Because you can be bad and fun, but I can't recommend a boring movie. And a lot of this weekend's movies were pretty boring, especially the main releases. So that was this weekend's box office report. And then we'll end things off with a good old-fashioned trailer talk. Coming this summer. It's trailer talk. Rated R starts Friday. All right, we've got three wide releases this weekend. We'll see if I, like I mentioned, there's gonna, I'm gonna do, the, try to make Ghibli Fest this week as well. But we have three main releases: one on Wednesday and two on Friday. The one on Wednesday is what I've been looking forward to: Crazy Rich Asians, based on the book of the same name. Let's take a look at that trailer. March. We've been dating for over a year now, and I think it's about time people met my beautiful girl. That accent is. Is something. It's it's definitely charismatic. Queens? Singapore. Colin's wedding. Don't you want to be my family? I hardly know anything about Also, Michelle Yeoh is amazing. Maybe his parents are poor and he has to send them money. Let's take a bag and get you checked into first class. I gotta say, it's nice to see uh, such a prominent Asian cast. That is exactly what a super rich person would say. I'm also hard crushing on the main girl in this. 1.2 million. Oh, hi, Aquafina. And Ken Jeong. Constance Wu, where do I know her from? These people aren't just rich, they're crazy rich. And you really should have told me that you're like. Where do I know her from? That's ridiculous. Much more of a Harry. Fresh off the boat, she's uh, Jessica Huang. Um, Eastsiders. Yellow on the outside, white on the inside. Do some crazy! Lego Ninjago movie. I don't know where I know her from, but I love her. I'm in love with her. She's a she is beautiful. I I'm glad we get um, I can let her get her in a prominent role. Also, Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, just Michelle Yeoh. Period. Based on the international best-selling novel. I want to marry her. You're Nicholas Young. You're untouchable. But Rachel's not. Have you prepped Rachel to face the wolves? You know I'm back. Every family takes guts coming all the way over here, facing Nick's family. Has its crazy. You will never be enough. It's about time someone stood up to Aunt Eleanor. For you, not me. Oh God, she can't know I was ever here. That's another aspect people forget. There's a lot of money coming out of the Eastern Market. Singapore, China, there's just a lot of lot of stuff that people don't know about that 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 uh that that air those that culture. You nasty, you got a nasty, you got nastier. I am so psyched for this movie. I cannot wait to see how it turns out. I am ex- I am excited for this. I'm just excited for just more diversity 
in um in uh <laughs> in film just finding seeing more stories being told that we haven't heard for the billionth time hearing more about you know you, you know that eastern asian lifestyle the, the how just the just crazy wealthy some of these people are and they live such lavish lifestyles we've seen stuff like the christian gray sort of just wealth porn but we haven't seen it in you know from the point of view of a truly just nouveau riche society like that of singapore and that of shanghai and that of Seoul, like all, so many of these people have sort of built these well, these just bastions of wealth under them. And it's it's going to be interesting to see this story being told because it is an interesting story. And I'm glad we're seeing it being told more diversity in film, more black centric movies, more Hispanic centric movies, more Asian centric movies, more LGBT centric movies and more of these movies from mainstream Hollywood. They deserve to be told we should not have to limit ourselves to just default cishet white people. That's all. Anyway. Uh, speaking of which, let's talk about some his- cishet white people and an Indonesian man in Mile 22. You want to live in a world where everybody feels cozy and validated all the time? Or do you want to live in a world that works? I... Oh, that's right. This is the old, freaking, ultra-nationalistic, hardcore right-wing BS trailer. According to the government, we do not exist. The ghosts. God, they look stupid. Can we get shit done? Southeast Asia. Doesn't say where in Southeast Asia, just Southeast Asia. Is missing. It's enough to make six major cities uninhabitable. He knows exactly where. That's who I think this movie should actually be about. Iko Uai. Uh, Uais? Uh, yeah, from the director of Lone, Lone Survivor and Patriot's Day comes more of his man crush, Mike, uh, Mark Wahlberg. Hey, man. Yes, yeah, the Eco is amazing. That's the guy from the raid. He's the guy this should be about, not Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg is a freaking brick. He's not interesting. He's just there to punch people. The goal is deliver that package to here, mile twenty-two. Look, you know the game this is. Take a drive. Yeah, that's 
that's boring as boring as hell. I mean, the Mark Wahlberg stuff is going to be my least favorite part. I'm really interested in Iko White is uh, Indonesian martial artist and actor. He was the star of the raid, and I'm more, I care more about him in this than Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg is just a is just he is he's generic action hero nothingness. He does not bring any. He really has stopped bringing anything of any value or interest to his roles. He just doesn't. He doesn't pick roles that are interesting that much anymore. Every so often he might pick one, but otherwise it's it's just him being Mark Wahlberg. Hello. You know, it's like that sketch from Saturday Night Live. No wonder he didn't like it because it told everybody what we already recognize, that Mark Wahlberg does, is not a good actor. You know, when he's, especially especially in movies like this, like he may be a good actor in other stuff, but he doesn't pick roles that require him to be a good actor because he doesn't care. Uh, anyway, last up this week, this coming weekend is going to be Alpha from Sony Pictures. Let's take a look. Studio 8. At the end of the last Ice Age. I really hope there's no narrator for this. In our world was a harsh and unforgiving place. A boy who was separated from his family. Oh God! Don't. Found a don't. Don't. Don't just tell us everything that happens. Together, they forged a bond that would change the course of human history. This is a more interesting dog movie than the last dog movie I saw. Oh, it's a bloody comedy! Of how mankind discover man's best. Is that Imagine Dragons? It's goddamn Imagine Dragons! What is this garbage? Ah, because nothing says caveman like freaking Imagine Dragons. I mean, I get it's a trailer, it's a commercial, but still. Alpha. Experience their journey in theaters this August. Yeah, I'm... See, the first trailer is the one that interested me, because that one made it look like it was going to be like Quest for Fire. Just like, mostly silent, all of it told through the visuals, nobody really talks. Then this narrator started coming in, and we started seeing more people talking English, and I'm just like, I don't care. We don't need you to talk. In fact, you should be making some sort of gobbledygook language. Something that's more, something, maybe something based around various indigenous languages. Something, or, you know, various, you know, primitive languages. Ones that we know existed. Um, find something that works for these, for this sort of proto, uh, proto, uh, you know, sort of early uh, homo sapiens and make that do it or maybe not use any language at all just once again have it all done through visuals I really hope it's like that because if it's just like walking with if you remember um, in 2013 walking with dinosaurs 
did a they did a movie about that that just ruined anything good about it. Apparently, it was the, some of the most scientifically accurate dinosaurs presented on screen. But all of the kiddiness and the over narration and made up story that they did with it just ruined it for me. It could have been really good, but they just they just had to just hammer in all of these lazy kid cliches, and it was terrible. I hope Sony doesn't goof that part up. If we can get something along the lines of Quest for Fire, we may have something re- something really interesting, something we haven't had in a long while. So don't I mean Sony is the Charlie Brown of movie studios at this point. So if they're gonna goof it up. I wouldn't be surprised, but I would really like to see something good come out of them for for a change. I think that about does it for us this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to favorite the favorite the page at, at GumbyCat and check out all of our other fine programming. Whitelist us on your ad blocker, please. And then check out all their stuff, uh... My other podcast, Living in the Stacks, has been going strong for the for the, for the time being. It's where me and a group of my friends, uh, including fellow podcaster um, Diana from Macintosh and Mod, read a book every uh, every couple of weeks and do like a book and do like an audio book club. Uh, the last episode was The Princess Bride, and our next upcoming episode is going to be Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. So stay tuned for that next week. Um, and be sure to check out all of the past episodes. We're about eight episodes. We're going to be eight episodes in as of next week. We're already seven in. So you, you're able to get in on the ground floor. No problem. And also be sure to check out all of Donna's programs. They're fantastic. And I'm really hoping to get Majide and Tragic Missile up running by the end of the year. I still need to keep in contact with, uh, my co-host at, at Majide. And I do need to, uh, get to work on editing the stuff for Tragic Missile so we can start recording some new episodes. Because I hate to leave that, uh, I hate to, for that to drop off, but I know a lot of times it is, uh, it, it, that's just how it goes with some D&D groups. So, I'm, I'm hoping we can revitalize it soon. Uh, I, once again, I hope by, by the end of the year. And um, if you're not listening to us on uh, GummyCatNetworks.com, you're probably listening to us through your various podcasting platforms. We're available through Apple, Google Play, uh Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. Uh, if there isn't a place that we're listed, uh, let me know and I can try to add them to the list of places that this podcast goes. But I, uh, thanks to Libsyn, I'm adding, I've added this podcast to more places that I can count. And I'm hoping that helps to spread the podcast for people and they can check us out wherever. And if you're wherever you're listening to us, be sure to leave a five-star uh, rating and review and share the podcast with people you know. Let people know that you like this show and they should check it out. And you can also do that through your various social media. I'm on social media at facebook.com slash popcorn junkie. That's where all the big announcements are going to be. I've been meaning to announce more Patreon stuff, but I've been neglecting it, sadly. Uh, I'm hoping to do do more this week. Uh, I'll announce when all the new content goes up on Patreon and say, hey, people, check out the new stuff on Patreon. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at, at Corn Junkie Pod. Uh, I had an interesting conversation with somebody. I don't know who they were. Uh, but I was commenting on the A Star is Born trailer. And they brought up a good point. Because uh, I was talking about the nature of remakes. But apparently uh, the person brought up that 
the whole point of A Star is Born being remade is the changes in music and of music culture at the time. They, they sort of em- they're sort of emblematic of music of that time period. And so what's going to be interesting for me is to go back all the way to the 1930s version, watch that one, watch the Judy Garland version, watch the, watch the Barbara Streisand version, and then watch the new version directed by Bradley Cooper and just see how things change along the way. It'll be an interesting sort of retrospective for me. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be coming out uh, later in the fall, I think. October, maybe. Uh, whenever that comes out, I'm going, to be doing, I'm going to be doing a deep dive into every iteration of A Star is Born, going all the way back to the 30s. Uh, but you could also, if you, so if you want to have these kind of conversations with me, I talk about movies. I interact with my fellow reviewers on there. Follow me at CornJunkiePod on Twitter. Uh, Instagram is still being sort of base level interaction, sadly. Once again, I mentioned, uh, that stupid conversation going on in my Dinesh D'Souza one. I should not have tagged his movie. I just should not have tagged it. Uh, if there's, if they keep talking anymore, I'm going to just delete the whole damn thing. So I keep, so I can stop getting reviews from that. Just, just inundated with these mindless comments about how it's a good movie. And it clearly just like... Complete and utter trash. Just, I don't need people telling me that trash is fine art. Because I have eyes, I have ears, I have a brain. I can see what's in front of me. So, yeah. If that keeps up, I'll delete the post. But otherwise, you know, you can still follow me. I post when I'm seeing a new movie, Stardust Reactions, and new episode announcements. If there's a suggestion you have for the Instagram feed, I'll gladly take it into consideration. Suggest that to me. Uh, You can do it through the Patreon system. Or if you want to just send me an email about it, I'll be sure to take it into consideration and see if I can't implement it. I'd like to use more of the Instagram feed if I, if I could. I just don't know what to do with it specifically. Uh, you can also follow me on Stardust, as I mentioned. Uh, I'm on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. And you can also follow uh, all kinds of people in there. Uh, I follow a lot of uh, young reviewers like myself and... Also follow some more some bigger names. Uh, the other internet's John Bailey, Bailey with an I. He's on there as Epic Voice Guy. He did a bit thing with the Meg that featured Bruce the Shock uh, as a puppet. Uh, so he once again, Epic Voice Guy John Bailey is the master of Stardust. He knows exactly how to use the platform to its fullest. He is phenomenal at it. I highly recommend you check him out. Uh, you can also find Mars Gore, the Double Toasted Guys, the Schmo Snow. Various other film reviewers and film personalities are on there. Or you can just make your own stuff like me. You can share your own reactions to trailers, TV shows, movies, whatever you have thoughts on those. You can leave 30-second reactions to them. And the good people at Stardust have even helped me to see move, see some of the movies. And I, I can't help but praise the platform. I love it. I love it. I love using it. Go check out Stardust and follow me at Popcorn Junkie and follow whomever you like. See who's on there. Find some new people that you like and agree with. Find some people that maybe you have differing opinions, but you think they're interesting. Find people on the platform that you like. Share some of your own thoughts and have a ball. We're having a blast. You should come join us. And I think that's all the social media. Once again, follow me, uh, so help me. You can help support me at patreoncom popcornjunkie. As little as a dollar a month gets you all kinds of access to content and allows you to be a, to, to to help me create the content for this podcast as well. And if there's anything else you want to say to me, any kind of feedback, 
share your thoughts on the movies I reviewed. Share your um, opinions on what's coming out. Uh, and once again, if you have any suggestions that I, that you would th- that you think would help me improve the podcast, I would be glad to hear them. Send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. I'll either read it out on the podcast or I can le- you know, send you a private message and we can talk privately and I can relate what happens to the uh, uh, you know on the show. Yeah, but I would love to hear but I would love to hear back from the listeners. You that sort of feedback is the kind of kind of interaction I I would love from this show. But un- but that about does it for me for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and one last time before the episode's over, let's take a listen to that new bumper. Lightning, Lightning round. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantarts.com for more of his artwork. Mm-hmm.